I'm sitting here with Philip James, who's a very uh, eminent obesity scientist, who's um, observed the rise of obesity across the world, and he warned of it, especially in the economic and emerging and less developed nations, before anybody was seriously thinking about it. He was co-author of the very influential FAO technical report on body mass index for assessment of adult obesity and undernutrition with Prakash Shetty. And the reason I'm talking to him today is that he was party to the adoption of the BMI references for the assessment of overweight and, and obesity. So, um, Philip, could you tell us what the story of BMI and obesity is? Thank you. It's very interesting to have this discussion because I first began to struggle with it uh, in probably 1972 when I, uh, having spent some time uh, as, a, as a delegated official for the British Foreign Office and Colonial Office, I went to Montserrat to look at children's heights and weights. And having been trained in Jamaica on childhood malnutrition, I looked at all this information and realized that the children that were so-called malnourished children were in fact stunted. So we needed to take account of the height. And I was into, and that's why I came back and uh, John Waterlow, then the, the professor in the department of the School of Hygiene, who'd sent me to Montserrat, he then took it and produced what I'd actually worked out and he established mm. the distinction between simply looking at weight and taking weight and, and height into account. But at that stage, I'd just come back to England and was asked, uh, you know, you should, you know, there's not much childhood malnutrition in Britain. Mm. So what nutritional problem are you going to look at? Mm. And I knew that people were talking, and the one or two odd physicians mm. uh, were talking about this problem of obesity, that they had some middle-aged women with a problem. Mm. And so I thought that it might be a good idea to uh, look into this problem, and I put forward a proposal to the Department of Health that we should look at the why middle-aged women, why they had this particular problem, new problem, mm. seemingly, of obesity. And as a result of that, uh, the Department of Health, after consulting the Medical Research Council, promptly came back to John Waterlow, my boss, mm. and said, you know, instead of giving this uh, young senior lecturer a grant, mm. I think we'd like to have the whole issue. People keep talking about it. Uh, there might be a problem with obesity. What is the story? Okay. So I became what John Waterlow eventually called the convener. Huh. In fact, I did all the work, <laughs> uh, almost all the work, and wrote... 80-90% of the report, which became the first UK official report on the nature of obesity and the challenges that we might have. Okay. And the I knew that actually there was a funny thing about obesity. Mm. And because I'd been looking at some of the mathematical problems of weight and height, I decided to... I'd heard that actually people in this crude way we're taking the Metropolitan Life Insurance statistical tables. And wonderfully, in the London School Library, I found an absolute decaying, mm. dust-covered copy, took it out, and then yeah. said... That would have gone back to the 1930s, wouldn't it? It, it was actually... 
the data pre-Second World War that they had used. I would have to go back and yeah. look at the date uh, to remember what Metropolitan Life Insurance... Uh, it was in a, uh, a statistical report for insurance companies from memory. And I got this out and looked at the ridiculous business about um, weight for height and uh, it were you small, medium or large frame. Mm. And it was a complete nightmare. Mm. And I think I'd already heard about Quetelet's uh, use of uh, body mass index calculation mm. and mathematically, but I hadn't seen his report at okay. that time. Yeah. So I just thought, let's have a look. Yeah. And I discovered to my amazement that if I took from the tables, the heights and weights, purely on average, yeah. then whether you were, in British terms, uh, over six foot, uh, down to five foot, yeah. then to my astonishment, whatever the height, by calculating BMI, I came up with women having a, a, a almost identical BMI range for optimum weights height okay. at each frame size. Yeah. So we decided that we'd take the lowest and the upper. And actually the women were, from memory, 18.6 to 23.8. Okay. And the men were something like 19.9 yeah. to 24.9, something like okay. that. And John Garrow was on the working party. Yeah. And he had to go off to see George Bray. At yes, the in the US. In the US. And we'd actually agreed that BMI, and in the report, we put the individual values but said we should forget about frame size mm. and just take this. And we looked at it, and then TPAD calculated it in terms of body fat from Dernin skin fold, ah. heights and weights. Ah. So we produced an appendix and a relationship which to this day is still used by anaesthetists for calculating the metabolically active part of the body from our equations which okay. we produced. So BMI, essentially, we established in 1974. It was eventually published in 76. And we already knew that actually there was a progressive increase and that it was a hazard to health. Okay. And the increase we identified, even at that stage, that we needed to look at BMI in a different way and use BMI as the simplifying crude index sure. of mortality, not morbidity. Okay, that's an interesting distinction and, and an important one that carries lessons to the present day. Can I ask you about how, how this came to be adopted by the World Health Organization and to be used internationally? There must be a lot of politics around that. Enormous politics, but by having established it in '76 legally and the Fogarty report came out with BMI and they classified as 20 to 25. But then in uh, 19, uh, late 80s, uh, in, in um, Guatemala, I was asked, um, they were talking about chronic energy deficiency and low, mm. or desperate need for food. And I said, oh, well, if you're feeding these kids and family, what are the mothers? Oh, I mean, how heavy or thin mm. are they? And I did some mental calculations on the basis and realized that these mothers were obese. Yeah. So I said, well, we've got to actually work out what the b lower limit of BMI is. Yeah. And that was 18.5. Yeah. And we published that based on 
international statistics. That would be one of the first reporters, if not the first reporting of deal burden, abundant nutrition and obesity, I Absolutely. imagine. Yeah, yeah. And so we then took that and we um, had, in, by 1983, we had produced the Royal Co- London Royal College report and now we had BMI established yeah. at that stage using 20 to 25, mm-hmm. whether you're a man or a woman, and that simplified life. Yeah. But we knew that women tended to be thinner. Yeah. And we then went on uh, later to revise it down to 18.6. Okay. And we knew that this was an index of mortality and not morbidity. Yeah. It then became clear that actually people's risk went up within it, but we decided this was a very conservative mode. Sure. So then WHO... Um, wanted to use anthropometry for looking at populations around the world. And they didn't want to know about obesity, but they put in a section Hmm. on adult obesity, written rather badly. But Anna Ferruzzi and I collected representative data from the third world, which showed that actually obesity was there. And that was in 2000. That was in the anthropological report. I mean, much later, 20 years later, yes. than our original English report. Yes, yes. But they didn't do it until I established the International Obesity Task Force yes. and produced within a year an analysis which used BMI yeah. and said that this there was a huge problem in the developing world. Yeah. And we then took it to WHO and had to persuade them mm. on the basis that this was a problem of the third world. Yes. That therefore it was their legitimate. Yes. Did they take a lot of persuading? Enormous amount of persuading. Mm. And we ended up, because I'd uh, obtained funds, we ended up actually paying WHO for the cost of their running the expert technical. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. So what, what kind of resistance was there to the standardization, possibly outside of WHO? Were there particular nations that had particular different, particularly different approaches? We actually had a big problem in the meeting itself uh, for various different reasons. I wasn't the chair, but I was essentially the key secretariat mm-hmm. and had chaired all, in fact, we'd written the complete report, yes, and therefore my team was the secretariat for WHO. Yes, but at the meeting, George Bray mm-hmm. was acting uh, previously at ten twenty-five as the upper limit, mm-hmm. based on metropolitan. Yep. He was now acting as a as it were a delegate for the United States. And he said, "Come on, we cannot have BMI twenty-five yeah. because uh, it would be a tragedy for America." Yeah. And so there's a big fight. He wanted to put it to 28 oh. as the normal limit yeah. and so on. But we'd all got 20% up because that was a metropolitan life, which made 25 and 30 mm. our original specification. Yes. Okay. But it, in fact, we fought him back because the Japanese wanted a BMI of 22 or yes. 20. So there was some kind of global balance. So we struck. ended up by saying, it should be 25, keep yeah. it at 25. Yeah. We managed to get that through. And then the United States immediately brought out, that was in 2007, in 19, sorry, 1997, uh, in 1998, before the publication, official publication, the United States rushed out its own report. Yeah. And we had to divert to, to Washington to support the National Institute of Health 
yes. because of an uproar from the ex-surgeon general objecting to having such stringent, mm. low uh, BMI yeah. for normal weight. Yeah. So this has been a saga yeah, that has gone on for decades. I can imagine, and 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 uh, it's astonishing how body size can be political, how political it can be. Phenomenally political, yeah. and it became a huge issue. And uh, our colleague Flegel in the United States, she's been continually specifying that it's not that you're better off to be overweight or even marginally obese. Okay, yeah. and that's all because you have to take a. And she's done that without properly taking account of smoking, mm-hmm. because your 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 death rate from smoking is as bad if you're a smoker. And with a BMI of 22, in other words, you're slim. It's uh, equivalent to being a non-smoker and, frankly, obese. So, therefore, if you don't distinguish and you don't exclude the people who are already sick with, for example, undiagnosed cancer and losing weight because they're feeling rotten, then you can come out with muddled statistics. My final question, Philip. What do you think, in your view, what do you think the, the standardization of obesity reporting has achieved? What are the principal achievements in your view? I think that the, there's been a huge development because by getting WHO and then regional powers to accept that BMI is a useful index of, of health on an individual, be it crudely, they could then apply that to a population. And we've been able to use objective data and I actually uh, led the report uh, on obesity and the global burden analyses for the millennium analysis. Yes. And we had the best data in the world on a, a criteria. There was blood pressure and they were struggling with blood pressure. Cholesterol values yeah. weren't, were rather sparse. Yes. And we thought we were hopeless mm. on BMI and uh, obesity rates actually. We yeah. had extremely good data and showed that this was a major burden. No, absolutely. And it's been a major global uh, global collaboration just in getting the reporting. So yes. some of the surprises that are in the data when you look at them. And it's, and with the uh, Prakash Shetty, uh, I was involved with FAO for food needs of the world. And we realized that the use of BMI was critical to allowing the statistical unit of FAO to work out how many people were potentially uh, hungry in the world. So BMI is even used in the equations that we developed for identifying the mass of hungry people in the world as well as the obese. So it's a quite extraordinary value index, even though on an individual basis it's pretty crude. Philip, Philip James, it's been an honour to interview you. Thank you very much.